0: could join us for episode 102 of sci-fi tv rewatch my name is dave and i'm joined as always by my co-host wayne and we are enjoying day two of our spring break which means i might actually get to watch one of my shows in real time tonight uh and that's going
1: to be agents of shield but uh, this is actually take two for us right it is the uh somewhere out there the lost episode of sci-fi tv tv rewatch exists and you know we'll when we put the box set compilation together we'll probably tack it on as an outtake or something but
0: yeah i went to uh edit it on uh, a friday afternoon and uh, all of a sudden there'd be like big chunks of audio just like nothing so uh anyway here we are to continue our discussion of james cameron's cyberpunk series dark angel starring jessica alba and michael weatherly and we're getting close to the conclusion of season one Uh, We'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi tv rewatch gmail.com or the website at fatalist.podbean.com where you can leave a voicemail via the speak pipe tab you can also record your own audio clip and send the mp3 as an attachment or just send us a tweet at sci-fi tv rewatch and hopefully you'll consider joining the Facebook group sci-fi tv rewatch and join in the discussions there Uh, one thing I did do today Wayne is uh, you know on the home page uh, up at the top, and I know you don't go there very often, but, <laughs> oh, yeah. but um, you know, there are tabs for, for instance, uh, Birds of Prey, and you click on the tab, and then it'll take you to a link for each of the 13 episodes that we did, uh, and, and the same thing uh, with uh, the Orphan Blacks that uh, I threw up there last summer when, uh, you know, Michael and I were doing that, and then uh, Dark Angel, of course, so I decided today I ought to go back and do it for lost girl because if people come new to the podcast the uh, save them the trouble of digging through endless page after page so uh I'm almost done I got seasons 1 through 3 and part of 4 done already and you know I think it'll make it a lot easier for anybody that wants to listen to some of the podcasts related to the early episodes cool so
1: very nice all right
0: yeah all right well listen uh, as i was telling you I finally got around to seeing Interstellar, and you told me you haven't seen it yet, so I'm obviously not going to spoil yes. anything. But man, I was blown away.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna. I do have to see it. Um, I have, you know, I I just really don't get a chance to get to the movies much, not on purpose, but just just happens that way. Uh, Interstellar is definitely one I wanted to see, but just didn't happen. So you know what happens is then you have to basically kind of keep myself in this kind of spoiler-free bubble. And whenever I hear the word interstellar, just tell me, stop talking or, or leave the room and, uh, you know, listening to podcasts, people would bring it up and start mentioning interstellar. I'm like, what? And run away and everything. So um, it's not their fault, it's mine. But, you know, there's this whole complex code that goes along with not seeing a big movie like that, you know.
0: Right. And I know you're a big Christopher Nolan fan, and uh, obviously this is a film that he and his brother worked on. And yeah, I don't know. Did you see 2001, A Space Odyssey? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, You know, it's really elements of that, elements of the movie Contact. I don't know if you saw that uh, based on the Carl Sagan novel. Yeah, I remember Contact. Jay Foster, right? Yeah, exactly. But uh, just really great. And for my new guilty pleasure... Which is a non genre show. Okay. The E Network. Oh boy. The Royals. Uh, which follows a fictitious royal family and they're, you know, the King and Queen of England and their uh two children. You know, I thought it was going to be one thing and it turned out to be something completely different. It, it's it's really rather enjoyable. So there have been like three episodes and my wife and I have seen them and, and I'm kinda digging it. You know, it's it is what it that, is. So. I'll,
1: I'll take your word for it. I don't think. Really...
0: <laughs> You'll take my word for it and not watch yeah.
1: it. <laughs> but it's funny because, um, you know, I've, one of my non-genre uh, pleasures, guilty pleasures, it's not guilty pleasures, it's a great show, is, is uh, Mad Men, which is uh, the final season starting this Sunday, I believe. So, I'm, you know, kind of hurriedly trying to get caught up with that. But, you know, I was thinking how we always said that one thing we love about genre television is how much it makes us think right it's, it's not easy uh you have to think about it and everything and you know watching Mad Men, I'm like man this show is just really there's all kinds of stuff that that, that show makes me think about every time i watch it, you know it's just it's really great and uh so it'll be sad to see it go
0: All right. Well, listen, on the news this week, Dark Angel related, uh, we're going to take a look at the actress that played Kendra, who, as we mentioned, doesn't appear to be in any more episodes. But still, she was pretty key in the first 13. Jennifer Blanc, who now goes by her married name, Jennifer Blanc Bean, uh, played Kendra Malbaum for 13 episodes in season one. and, And she's got a production company with her husband, Michael Bean. And oh, na- that's
1: right. My God, Do I, you know who he is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was... Uh, he played Kyle, he, Kyle Reese. And, yeah, he played Kyle Reese in Terminator. In Terminator. And then he was, like, in the 90s, he was in kind of like a bunch... Of, like, he was in Navy SEALs and... Uh, well, he
0: was in Alien. He played Corporal Dwayne Hicks. Yep, that's right. He was Hicks in Aliens. And he was in The Abyss. Right, The uh, Abyss,
1: but, right? Yep. Like That's the 90s, right?
0: Right, right, right. And it looks like their production company is really focusing on thrillers horror sci-fi and any combination thereof and i'm guessing the idea is that they go straight to dvd which you know heck in this day and age where when you know we, we stream so much of our content probably not such a bad idea no
1: no i think we've talked about it before like it seems like we're we're heading that way right with
0: yeah absolutely yeah. Um, Well, you know, she's got 77 credits on IMDb. She's currently filming Psychophonia, which is a film about a widow who comes to terms with who her recently murdered husband really was as she probes his secret sex life. So that doesn't necessarily sound like a genre film. But she's also got six films in post-production. The comedy horror film Deadly Retreat, Fetish Factory, which is described as pinup vixens versus bloodthirsty zombies. Sweet set in a post-apocalyptic Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Uh, Havenhurst, tr- a troubled young woman, takes up residence in a gothic apartment building where she must confront a terrifying evil. And this one stars Julie Benz from Defiance and Fanula Flanagan from Defiance and Lost. The thriller Mindless, which is just the subtitled The Mind is a Tricky Thing. A uh, film called She Rises, along with her husband Michael Bean. Uh, A director and her lead actor get a vacation rental while filming a movie. What starts as a helpful, unassuming, very nice host becomes her worst nightmare. Uh, Night Visitor 2, Heather's story, also with her husband. And apparently there was a film called The Night Visitor, and this runs... (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sharp, Wayne. (laughs) The plot runs parallel to the original Night Visitor, telling the story of Heather, a special young girl who must protect her family and the planet, from some other earthly being. And then she's got one completed film, Altered Perception. And interesting here, she wrote the story with John Huertas, who plays Javier Esposito on Castle. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, she's certainly done quite a, quite a bit of work, and, you know, certainly good luck to her husband with their production company. I mean, it ser- sounds like there's certainly doing the kinds of films that, that we enjoy. And, you know, who knows? Maybe
1: they'll strike it big. Who knows? But uh, they're keeping, obviously, they're, it seems like with all these projects they got going that they are experiencing some success. So that's good. Um, yeah, I was just kind of checking out the IMDb page while you're talking about it. And, you know, it's like, you think that she left the show, her abrupt and unusual departure, you know, it, it was like kind of, like uh, synthetic i guess would be the word you know yeah yeah I and mean, it like, almost
0: seems like they just wrote her exactly.
1: out exactly like and so you think well maybe you know i think our theory was that she got another job and it's like hey you know it's it's been nice but i got this bigger job and but uh she didn't like after dark angel it's not till 2003 that she's got something to her credit so it would be interesting to like find out if you know, what, what the hell happened there, you know? Because the yeah. character was a, a a great character.
0: Yeah, no um, question. I did a little bit of research one day and didn't really come up with anything, but...
1: Yeah, it's just weird. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, there's obviously a number of professional-slash-personal reasons that could have happened, but it just seems strange that someone who was a fairly, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say super integral, but but you a know, significant part of the series up to that point gets suddenly and strangely written off like that. Two characters, I guess. So I guess maybe they were just, you know, didn't have budget for... They needed to cut back on two actors. So they they took two key people, had them hook up, and then wrote them off. There you go. <laughs> so, All right, well, we're here to talk about
0: episode 18 of season one, Polo Loco, which means... Crazy chicken. And I think we both agree, the strongest episode of the season thus far, or certainly in the conversation.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, a lot of... You know the the ideas of reconciliation, redemption, uh, and all this stuff was. uh, I I like that. It was a very deep episode. Yeah,
0: and written by Doris Egan, directed by Thomas J. Wright, and it aired on April twenty fourth, two thousand one. Now, you know, another term we could throw out there would be spirituality, and none of that you would think about based on the opening scene because Max comes home with a live chicken in a cage. And that's never a good idea.
1: Well, you know, if you're hungry for chicken. Or if you're hungry, good point. <laughs> you know? And you're in a post-apocalyptic society. That- right. Now, Cindy, I think,
0: at first thinks Max is planning to keep it as a pet. Oh, no. I'm planning to eating it. Do we have any garlic? And she mentions the fact that Logan cooks with garlic, and she finds it delicious. And all of a sudden, she just snaps its neck.
1: <laughs> yeah. I-, I like how when Max came in and Cindy was like, well, what are you going to do with it? And she's just like, eat it. Like, what kind of question is that? You know, obviously, um, that we we can see that. Yeah, you know, we Max is not completely unemotional and pragmatic. It'd be silly to say that, but she does have that very kind of pragmatic side to her. And uh, and and for her, it's like, well, duh. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because you know of the whole snapping of the neck that plays a, a role later in the episode. You know, you just almost wonder why. That scene's there, and you know, maybe because of what you said, very pragmatic. And, and...
1: well, there, there's actually, I after we recorded the, the lost recording, I, I thought of this. And I don't, it's, it seems like something that has been right there in front of my face this entire time, but it just dawned on me. You think about so, original Cindy, right? I always thought that original was like kind of a weird nickname, okay. but then I think about it like original Sin. Like original Cindy, original sin. Like it just smacked me in the face. I'm like, oh yeah, oh, you know. God, I'd never thought of that. That's awesome. I didn't either. It's just, it's right there. It it seems, you know. Um, So does that have to do anything with her character? I think Not necessarily, but just for a show that was so laden with religious overtones, like they start off a scene with original sin, right? Yeah.
0: No, yep. Well, Well- We cut to Max eating the chicken. Cindy's still a little put off by it. Uh, Although after Max does leave, she goes over, lifts up the pot, and it looks like a nice roasted chicken you might pick up at uh, Giant. It looks like a a rotisserie chicken, exactly. Yep. And Logan calls, which, of course, he always does. But Max has a phone. Yeah,
1: they have a phone. (laughs) Uh,
0: Because, you know, in the past, it was always call her pager and Then she'd have to find a phone somewhere oh, like and then the call back.
1: Payphone in the hall or some, didn't they? Like, right, they right. Yeah. So now I don't know, Things are looking up. Yeah. Diamond before did look around their apartment. Like, man, you know, this place is nice. Yeah. You know, like so, um, you know, apparently their their digs are a little bit more upscale than we thought. Yep. Well, one of Logan's informants
0: has a tip that a body showed up at the morgue sporting a barcode and you know when he reads off the number to max she recognizes it as ben's and he sets it up so that she can go view the body and she tells him that when a soldier dies you pay your respects you wonder if it's maybe more than that i mean certainly she does want to pay her respects but i think just the curiosity has to be gnawing at her because they're all you know on the run
1: yeah and as we discover and actually we've seen it before is that their relationship between the the Manticore kids and the X5s that escaped the twelve especially, it seems like this very like like their family, their brothers and sisters. Yeah. And and, and, and what and, would you do if, you know, like a sibling died, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and this was a uh very flashback centric episode. And we see the first of the flashbacks and Max is thinking back to when they were kids and that scene where they're just simply being kids, you know, doing the whole shadow puppets with a flashlight. And we just never see them getting to be kids.
1: Right. That's absolutely true. We've always seen them like in training and, you know, doing manticore stuff. Uh, yeah. As far as I know, this is the first time we've really seen them being, yeah, just regular, regular kids.
0: Yeah. And we see the first of, tears from max and and you know it's becoming a little more prevalent i think as she gets in touch with her emotions after you know all these years of just keeping everything bottled up inside Uh, so she goes to the morgue and she's waiting for a dr shankar and she again flashes back to when they were kids and apparently ben was the storyteller of the group and he's talking about you know the good place and the bad place going past the anomalies and he cuts off the A, which, of course, we know he means anomalies. And apparently they had a lot of genetic misfires. And the X2s in particular were really bad. And yeah, I guess they executed some, but they've got some in these little prisons hidden away. And, and it, it's, you know, it's almost as if Leidecker is holding it over their heads that if you don't do what I tell you to do, this is going to be you.
1: Right, because they marched the kids right through there, right? Yeah, yeah. Or at first, I think Liedeker was you know still experimenting or something that you know because you know Leidecker doesn't do anything without a reason. You know, he's always got some kind of agenda. Um, but yeah, it also could be just to yeah have this threat over the kids' heads. You know, that as you said, yeah, and these uh, boogeymen you know, kind of like right. Well, well, exactly.
0: You know, take you down there and they'll drink your blood. So, you know, he's really got the kids frightened, which is ironic given what other physical abilities these kids have and, and certainly mental abilities as well. Um, but Dr. Shankar's explaining the wounds to Max and that the killer was incredibly strong, snapped the neck, and extracted all the teeth, which gets Max's attention. Obviously, we learn why and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But then we also hear Lydeker outside he 's on the on the track of this uh, body that's come into the morgue. Max is hiding off to the side, and he takes possession of the of the John Doe.
1: Yeah, and once again, if we're playing the game, the drinking game, uh, you know, drink up because Lydecker once again narrowly missed Max, who grossly uh, hides with the body. I don't know what's worse, getting caught by Lydecker getting into a confined space with a corpse. Um, I guess getting caught slightly wins that battle, but...
0: Yeah, I think she's been in worse. Yeah. But, uh, but she goes to investigate the crime scene in the woods and finds a religious medal hanging in a tree. And this is our first, you know, taste of the, you know, the religious overtones, the spiritual overtones that this epi- episode has. And it's presumably the necklace that made that mark on the John Doe's body. And, and she voices out that, Ben, what are you doing? but she also realizes it's not Ben back on the slab and, and we also hear I think the doctor tells her that the barcode was recently right it's a tattooed. fresh
1: tattoo so at that point she knew that it wasn't Ben cuz you know obviously Ben his has tattoo for a long long time no oh, yeah just like all
0: now and, and you know we we you wonder i mean did they have these kids from birth we assume so because of the uh, you know, the intro video, you know, when they're rolling the credits and you see the, right, the, uh, you know, the, the fetus, fetus yeah. kind of, so we, we assume they have them from birth. Uh, well, we get another flashback to Manticore, and this time the kids are all huddled around. One of them who's shaking in his sleep, and of course we recognize it as the seizures that that, you know, probably the same that Max suffers from now, as opposed to a bad dream. And they all realize right away that if Leideker finds out that this kid's going to be sent with anomalies, so you know they they rally around like you mentioned their brother. In a twist, it's the custodian that comes in that saves the day to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, and they, uh, which, upon further reflection, I think the custodian's interaction with the kids. Like again, I just said Lydecker doesn't do anything that's not planned. So he has a guy who's kind of handing out, you know, cards of the Blessed Virgin Mary to kids and talking to them when I'm sure that that would you would think would be utterly forbidden. Like you know, Lydecker doesn't want these kids having any contact with anyone really. He doesn't want any influences on these kids other than himself. But yeah, he just lets his janitor waltz in and hand out religious cards to them. It doesn't seem it's not very Leidecker-ish, you know. Well, so so what are you saying? You think that Leidecker knows he's doing it? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's just kind of a, a, a loop in the plot, you know, like okay. kind okay. of a a, a flub uh, or yeah, potentially. But because, yeah, I mean, why would Leideker do that? You know, that's what I'm saying. It just seems it seems unusual that that, that would happen. Um, but, you know, as you said, the kids being there from birth, it seems like pretty clearly they are because they have no concept of of who mary is when they see the card that they look at and they call her the blue lady and they you know they have their own follow you know devotion to it or worship or before i referred to as a cult you took me off that i guess we'll talk about that again but you know again it just shows how isolated they are and how there are no outside influences on these kids
0: right well you know he sees uh you know the kid and he places the card as you mentioned with the blessed mother on it and tells him to pray to her she'll watch over you and, and like you mentioned they call her the blue lady because of course you know she's dressed in a, in a blue gown and they mention that they think she's beautiful and they're fascinated by the heart of course the sacred heart of mary mm-hmm. you know given the religious overtones of this episode i, I again like you on, on reflection it's almost as if he's their guardian angel
1: right yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there could be that too. It could be actual, like, yeah, intervention from above here, yeah. Right. So, uh,
0: well, apparently we find out in real time Ben has been hunting and killing people, and this is probably a, as good a time as any now that we're talking about adult Ben, that uh, the actor that plays him... I've seen that guy before. Where have I seen yeah, him before, Dave? Yeah, because he's not in much.
1: No, he's, <laughs> yeah. he's really the last, like, 10, 11 years or so. I he must have really been. Maybe he's just doing something really obscure, and or or he maybe he's been on this show Supernatural for the last ten years. That, that could be it.
0: Jensen Ackles.
1: <laughs> yeah, my man Jensen. I've, you know, this is the one. As everyone knows, I've I've been citing Jensen all over the place uh, in the last couple episodes, eagerly anticipating his eventual. Uh, being on the show I you know I I didn't I've stayed away from IMDB so I didn't know how many I knew he was on the show but I didn't know how many episodes uh and as it turns out just the one
0: (laughs) yeah or or so so it would seem yeah uh but it turns out that Ben has been hunting and killing people a la the most dangerous game which is a short story uh, I would think many people read in high school and then he places his barcode on their necks and, you know, this first guy we see him tracking appears to have some skills. You know, we see him, like, you know, appear out of the water a la, you know, Apocalypse Now or uh, Platoon, one of those Vietnam yeah, era movies. Was, uh, oh,
1: it was the – other day I remember the – Gene yeah, oh, you remembered Valor, Valor with, with Gene Hackman. I think there's a big scene of them coming out of the water like that.
0: And the guy has this little crossbow sort of like uh, Charlie in Revolution – Sends an arrow right on target. Ben just snatches it out of the air with his hand.
1: Yeah, I have a feeling that that this wasn't influenced by revolution, though. No, I, I don't think that's that what that's what they're going for. Uh
0: no, probably <laughs> the other way around. If but at yeah, all. it's but, pretty
1: cool how he catches the arrow, though. No question, right?
0: But now we've got a second body with the same barcode, and uh, you know, now I mean, if Max had any doubts, she she certainly knows that uh, that was not Ben. Another flashback to Manticore when they're playing the exact same tracking game she tells logan that it's ben that's doing the killing and tells logan to back off that she'll handle it and you know it raises the question you know as many times as she helps him why won't she let him help
1: her yeah it's the, this relationship between these two is complex at, at best but at this point we're really yeah we're we're, like you just said why on earth would she not let logan now by the end of the episode we kind of get it we understand why she felt that this was something she had to handle on her own but uh you know it's the the two of them are are always in this kind of game of you know pushing each other away and then saying you know and then they come together and they push each other away it's just kind of back and forth um you know, I think it's time to just get it over with at this point, well, right, Dave? Well,
0: and any and time you're dealing with family, I know it gets complex, but I also wonder whether she's afraid that Logan might see that there is a dark side to the X-Fives and, you know, that maybe he thinks that this could end up being her. I mean, he already knows about her seizures.
1: Yeah, exactly. That is very likely as well, that she's just try- yeah, trying to keep Logan, A, for his own good, keep him out of it, but B... Yeah, so he doesn't see that uh, that that dark side of them because these are things that it, it seems like, as we see here, the, the, the prevailing theory is these are things that are you know genetically coded in them, like these the or at least have been uh, conditioned into them as well. Right, and I guess like any time you try to
0: genetically engineer something, you never know exactly how things are going to turn out, especially when you start playing around with different combinations. So, um, but it leads us into one of the most powerful scenes in the episode. Max goes to the church, the lady of the sacred heart to look for Ben. She figures that's, you know, pretty logical. And we get another flashback, which explains why she thinks it's logical as the kids go to the high place, which is the roof of one of the buildings. And they lay out teeth, teeth, as offerings to the blue lady. Now, at this point, we don't know where they got the teeth yeah. um, and they say they make her stronger. So we see, you know, them giving these as offerings to her and, you know, this rooftop, it's their church. I mean, they don't really have any kind of a context, but that's essentially what it is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, think now that we, in the whole of the, the episode, maybe those teeth were the teeth of that Guy that they were chasing later on, um, this this pivotal moment in their lives that that seemed to have affected, especially Ben, so much. But it's it's kind of weird, and that's why I say like you know cult like you know I know, and it's not necessarily a cult per se, um, but there, there are some behaviors as to collecting teeth and you know giving them to the blue lady. Just I guess if if anything we can say it's you know kind of sacramental. I guess in a, in a way.
0: Well, I I mean I guess I just, you know, like when we talked about this before, I guess my thing is that they have no context. So to them, the fact that they extracted these teeth from a man that they killed, they don't necessarily see the horror in that. What they, you know, that they see it as just simply giving something that has it has importance to them and giving it to her.
1: So, sure. I know I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, but, but it's all it's all like, but it's all ceremonial though. You know, it's like that's the thing. There's, yes. all, there's the the whole ceremony that goes along with it as part of you know worship and veneration that these kids um, that wasn't taught to them, they have just come upon it kind of themselves. You know, so maybe there is. I, I think a lot of the things that we see in this dealing with. I mean, they it, they kind of focus on um, Catholicism and the uh, you know, reconciliation, especially the second reconciliation, but I think a lot of these things that we see that are spiritual in nature in this episode speak to kind of universal human um, you know, activities and, and desires and wants and needs, and this need to, this belief that there's something else, that there's something beyond, and finding a way to you know, attach yourself or to access that beyond, I think is a fairly universal thing that goes across cultures and across religions. And you see these, like I said, these kids just kind of came up with it all on their own. And it's a little weird, you know, teeth, that's that's uh, that's kind of out there, but still it's, you know, no weirder than you could think of what any other religion does to, you know, show its, you know, to, as its method of worship. Right and and you know you mentioned
0: it does use catholicism as a vehicle but it, it could just as easily have been any religion because as you said they they have universal values and concepts and so so max kind of flashes back to the present as she's standing in front of uh the statue of Mary and she sees that handkerchief lying there and it's almost as if she has to open it but she doesn't want to and and discovers what she feared which was a pile of bloody teeth and you know at, at this point you know the Immaculate Heart of Mary, because there there is that that heart image that we certainly can 't ignore here, refers to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and you know one of the things that also figures in is that you know that that we're to understand about her joys and sorrows, her virtues, her hidden perfections, and above all her virginal love for God the Father, her maternal love for her son, and her compassionate love for all people. But what struck me was that idea of hidden perfections contrasted with what we're seeing out of the X5s which are these hidden imperfections and you know certainly a lot of them are genetic but a lot of them are now emotional and spiritual right. imperfections because they never it just wasn't part of their
1: you know DNA so to speak right and in the you know at least the catholic church's concept of mary is that she was born without sin well ironically you know the X5s were born with Not sin per se, but they were born with a lot of darkness in them. Right.
0: Well, Max waits for more than a day in a pew in the church, and finally a priest comes over and sits next to her, asks if she needs help, and of course, she gives him the brush off thinking he's trying to hit on her. But quickly, she asks, and I don't want to say it's out of the blue because I think we understand why she asks it, but are there some things that are unforgivable, and I love his response.
1: Yeah. Well, he says that yeah, God's forgiveness doesn't have it limits, right? And she's like, yeah. oh, well that's that's nice. You know, she's kind of sarcastic when she says it. Um, because she still doesn't quite get it at this point, yeah. You
0: know. Well, right. And and you know, he mentions that God forgives things we can't forgive in ourselves and others. And he points out about the confessional, you know, and, and the idea that secrets tend to get heavier, and certainly the idea of keeping secrets is something that Max is Painfully aware of, but
1: it, it it does provide food for thought. Obviously, uh, for uh, later in the episode. Right. Well, he says, you know, it's not easy walking in there, but you feel a whole lot better walking out. And you know that is absolutely a hundred percent true. Um, that it is difficult to go and tell someone, you know, say I'm a bad person and and here's the things I've done that are bad, and then at the end of it, they say. You're not a bad person. You're okay. It's you're good. You know, um, and people mock confession and say it's a joke and say, "Oh, you know, just say ten hail marys. You can do whatever you want. Just say a couple of hail marys." It's it's not that at all. You know, it's it's the whole the process of admitting to another person what you've done. That's that's the catharsis, right? That's it. That's what it's all about. Um, and again, Max learns that through by the end of this episode. And you know, at, at this point, I'm totally. Predicting that um, you know that she's going to be back here at the end of the episode, I, I thought instead of being in the space, the you know, the final scene's going to be here in the confessional. Darn if I weren't right, Dave, huh?
0: Right, and and it is it is kind of sad in a way, in that you know th- this is something that that she and and certainly all of the X fives just so need to be able to move on with their lives, and she's got this connection, this relationship with Logan. And I mean, we certainly don't see him ever taking the time to, you know, kind of talk about these things. Although, to be fair, you know, she can be rather withdrawn about those sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, anyway, Ben comes into the church, presumably with more teeth for Mary. Max confronts him and asks him why he's doing it. And he says, you know why, and then runs out. And and of course, she does know why, but... Just because she knows why doesn't mean she thinks it's okay, obviously. Right. So we see then Ben in a confessional talking to Father Destry and mentions that he has faith in the lady. And, you know, he starts his confession and he confesses to killing. And the priest at first tries to be helpful, you know, the whole thing that, well, if you were doing it in self defense, if you were a soldier, and he says that, well, I am a soldier but you know that that statement he makes that he feels as if the lady has given up on him
1: yeah and this is kind of you know we see the scene with with ben on the roof of the high place whatever saying you know what did we do wrong we believe in you you know it's this idea of like that that silence that some we feel that we get like you know we pray and we we we, we have supplications and everything we try to you know access the divine um but we don't necessarily get we don't we don't see it in return you know with that frustration of where where is the evidence you know um and the, there's this actually this really good book called Silence that I read about a, a Jesuit priest in Japan a long time ago trying to con- convert. And, uh, you know, he's being tortured and he keeps praying and he feels like, oh, you know, he, like he, he's not getting, um, he doesn't feel God's presence and everything like that. And, and so that's kind of this, again, this, I say, this universal frustration It goes not even, even whether you are religious or not, there's probably people who have thought that and felt that at some point, especially in times of stress or trouble. Right.
0: Right. Right. And, and I think another, uh, piece of, literature that some of the listeners may have experience with is Elie Wiesel's Night, which examines the very same thing, that, that crisis of faith, because you feel that God has abandoned you in in your time of most need. And uh, you know, that's certainly what we see here with with Ben. And, and, you know, you mentioned when when he says, what did we do wrong? We believe in you. And, and they just don't have, again, that context for that, you know, the fact that, well, Every prayer is not going to be answered. You have to have faith,
1: right? And, and and that, that's he's a kid thinking that. And there's how many adults ask that very same question, though. You know, right?
0: Yep. Now, I guess the question: Why he kidnaps Father Destry right out of the confessional? Uh, you know, I don't want to say it eludes me because I I, I think I get it. Um, you know, because on the one hand, there's this disconnect with Ben about faith and then what he was trained to do. I I think at this point that it's almost as if he's going to put the gun to father Destry to see if the lady will save father Destry And, and by extension save Ben's soul as well.
1: Yeah. And I think part of it is maybe Max's intervention at this point is kind of got Ben even further off the rails. Like he's been doing everything kind of on the DL and not, you know, obviously out there. Here he grabs a priest right out of the confessional uh, in broad daylight, right? Am I, Yeah. Am I, so, yeah, it's so he's not even trying to hide anymore, you know? Um, and so I think maybe, you know, his meeting with Max has kind of got him a little uh, off kilter there and everything. But, but yeah. yeah, he's certainly now he's got Father Destry and he's. It's like a kind of a crisis of faith, right? He puts Father Destry in a position to, you know, basically apostatize himself. You know, if you pull the trigger, he's basically kind of given up, uh, not entirely, because he did say before they established, well, there are justifiable killings if you do, it's a, you know, if for a righteous cause or if you're a soldier in self-defense. Um, but, uh, you know, still he's, you know, he's forced with the decision of life and death and he pulls the trigger.
0: He does indeed. Yeah. I mean, obviously Ben gets out of the way, but I was a little surprised at that. I was
1: very surprised by that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, you know, it never gets old when we get to see Sebastian. Although I I'm still not feeling really good about Logan's decision to bring him into the mix and again, by extension, contacting Leiter.
1: Yeah, contacting Lydecker is way w- w- more out there than I think. Than because he's, you know, this is like what the third time that we've seen Sebastian there, so he's kind of becoming like Logan's go-to guy out there. Um, but to to team up with Lydecker is just cray cray, right? I would think so. I mean, again, it,
0: it's I, I, I'm not sure you can trust him and. Well, we but we know we, we can't it. trust him. Well, well right, we don't right, right. Know,
1: I guess, but we strongly suspect he's right. definitely has, has, you know, kind of double dealt uh, everyone in this show at some uh, point. Well, I,
0: I guess the thing comes down to, you know, perhaps Logan thinks that Lydiger can take Ben out of play, thereby protecting the populace at large, as opposed to Max doing it and perhaps Max getting hurt. So. I mean, that's the only thing that makes sense, and, and I think there is some logic in that. Um, now, we're not sure exactly who this woman is that Lidecker meets with, but but she seems to be higher up the manticore chain than he is.
1: Well, she calls Lidecker Deck, and the last person we saw that did that was that, that woman doctor, I can't remember the name, but the doctor right. um, who he had had a relationship with and who he killed. So, you know, I would ease off on calling him Deck. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, well, they think the problem started after the escape and they worry that the other X-5s are going to implode as well. And that's when we find out that they'd executed 26 potential soldiers because of various genetic anomalies. Tells him to bring him back to Manticore and figure out what went wrong. And that leads me to think, is Manticore still operational? Are they on the next generation of
1: X-Men? Oh, nice I like that <laughs> and w- and ex women <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I, it seemed to me that she thought that the, that you know i don't i don't know if, if she thought it, it was something that happened after he escaped. I, I think that she was suggesting that this was a genetic thing that uh, was from you know their either or their genetic or their conditioning, but something that had been kind of hardwired into Ben for a long time. Um, but either way, yeah, like this This idea is back to the drawing board. Um, yeah, it certainly seems like Manticore is still up and running, yeah? Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, well, you know, with all of these thoughts, you know, through her flashbacks about the high place, it suddenly strikes her space needle. So we we figured that must have been the initial appeal for her as well. She finds him there, cuffs him, and then it's like, where are you holding the priest? And it forces him to remember, and then by, uh, again, her as well, that day, don't tell me you've forgotten that day. And and it's, you know, they were kids and they were chasing a guy through the woods. So it was that exact same, the most dangerous game, game, except that it was a whole pack of X-Fives after this guy. And, And the twist is he was a death row inmate. He was given a knife and told that if he can get to the perimeter, he's a free man, if not back to death row and of course we know uh he does not make it to the perimeter and death row has uh kind of a different meaning than than what leidecker was implying
1: yeah or yeah right exactly it's it's exactly what he meant just not what he was implying right right but you know i I guess what what i wonder is because they
0: get the guy they descend on him and they tear his shirt open and they find a heart tattooed to his chest and of course that makes them go back immediately to the sacred heart of mary they cry out he's an anomaly and then they beat him to death in this frenzy almost something like you know out of a a
1: euripides tragedy well almost it kind of calls to mind just this religious fervor uh that yeah i think they see him almost as a blasphemer or something and so you know when something goes against your Utmost religious beliefs, well, kill it, right? Yeah. Uh,
0: well, Logan, you know, as eyes only confronts Lydeker via video again. We've seen we've seen this before. It's a uh, a very effective technique. Tells him he'll, he'll expose. Yeah, it's figures.
1: Oh, let me do a retinal scan on this. And <laughs> good point. <laughs>
0: um, which, yeah,
1: it's well, yeah, it's it's in the future, right? They should have retinal yeah. scans by then.
0: Yeah, you would think. Well, he tells him he'll expose Lydeker if he doesn't help. Uh Leidegger admits they're all killers, you know, now and now he's trying to get at Logan, you know, she's not the girl next door. You have no idea what she's capable of doing. But Logan's still so focused on Ben and and, and I think it is that he just wants to get Ben out of play so that
1: nobody else gets hurt. Yeah, and it kind of talks back to this idea of what Leideker says you, you have no idea what she's capable of. Um and and that's this You know what, as you suggested before, Logan might be slightly a little worried about as well, or or what Max is, I should say, Max is worried that Logan's worried about. You know, that Max is concerned about. Logan sees that dark side of her, uh, that part of her she can't control because it's either genetically or conditioned into her. Um, And we see it. We see these kids when they're getting ready to chase the guy, they're like, dogs on a leash, man, they're, they can't wait. They're, they're, you know, it's a really great shot of the kids, you know, looking like right to left and they're all like kind of, their eyes are wide with anticipation. Oh, it's like a fox hunt. Exactly. You know, and we see these kids are, are, like you said, these kids were trained, conditioned, uh, bred to be killers. And, you know, you see that that's exactly what they do and it's something that they're eager to do. Um, So, yeah, they are capable of, you know, some tremendous, tremendously horrible things.
0: Yeah. Now, it was really interesting to see Ben and Max debate the theology of the Blue Lady, because debating theology is clearly not something either of them has probably done. Max even compares her to the Tooth Fairy, which, again, I think speaks to her lack of context. But obviously, that Ben's faith goes much deeper, uh, you know, because he was saved as a child way back when by the by the custodian, maybe. But she seems to understand at this point that Ben is not
1: savable, right? And if I could play armchair psychologist here for a second, it it seems like this kind of a case of arrested development. You know, like this incident, this uh, with the the convict. Um, which he calls, you know, that, what do you call it, that day? He calls it, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that that was so traumatic for Ben that he really has kind of locked on to it ever since. And he keeps repeating it over and over again. Uh, and it, uh, and, and so his faith in the Blue Lady is also kind of locked in at a, you know, childlike faith. Max has moved beyond, I guess I could say, and she looks at it and says, "Well, it's it's that's that's a kid's thing. That, that was something we thought when we were kids." But Ben is—he's not there. He still has that same belief that he has as a kid. Which, if we, you read the Bible, that is Jesus was all about that—bring me the children, right—and right. That, that simple faith was something he said we should emulate. But when you combine that simple faith with the uh, manticore conditioning and upbringing, uh, it, it creates something that's very, very dangerous. As we see, like you know, any kind of uh, religious zealotry. Um, when you combine that with you know, like military training, you you get serial killers, or some you know, not always, but sometimes you get very dangerous people who have very radical beliefs and who are also physically able to do great damage, right?
0: Right. And and I don't think it would be fair to say that one of the differences is that Max has come to terms with her past, because I think it's more a case that she's just buried it so deeply, as opposed to Ben, where it's, it's just bubbling near the surface. But it, it kind of then takes us to where uh, we see that, as Max says, by tattooing your victims, you're just killing yourself over and over again because one part of you just wants it to end. And and I think there's a lot of truth to that. And it's as if he's trying to recreate Manticore. And then he says, we should have never left. Everything made sense there. And is that through the eyes of a child, I guess? I mean, Or,
1: sort of, as you mentioned on Friday, a prisoner, right? Right. You know, because you know, oftentimes, especially people who have spent, done long jail terms, find it difficult to adjust to the real world where, you know, your day isn't planned out and you have to make your own choices and do your own things. Because, you know, the freedom is, you know, is troubling. It's it's difficult. Yeah.
0: Now, you know, in, I guess the last action scene of the episode, uh, they flash back again Kind of in the present to to something they did as kids, Max catches up with Ben and the priest in the woods. Ben has the priest on the ground, foot on his throat. Meanwhile, we know Leideker and his Humvees are on the way. Now Max manages to free the priest, and now we've got our obligatory action scene. Doesn't go on too long, but oh my gosh, was there any? I don't think I've seen anything that gruesome in a while when
1: she breaks his leg. Yeah, I'm still squeamish about that. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> and and then so he's lying there and just pleads with her, "Don't leave me here," and he wants her to kill him so Leideker can't take him alive. And and again, we talked about the tears earlier she's clearly upset about the, the prospect of doing this, but she does it
1: right. Yeah. Straight out of mice and men, right. That the final scene with George and Lenny, and he's, you know, tell me about the rabbits. And you know, the same way she says, tell me about the good place. And
0: right. So, because he's the storyteller, right? Um, and where no, no one ever gets punished. No one ever gets yelled at. And then, uh, all of a sudden she just snaps his neck, tears running down her cheeks. And, uh, you know, I, I guess it goes back to the opening scene when she she snaps the chicken's necks. It's, it's pragmatic, and that's as emotional as it is. As you know, much emotional pain it's going to cause her. She knows it's the pragmatic thing to do because if Leideker gets hold of him,
1: what are they going to do? Slice him and dice him, right? Yeah. And, if he's uh, lucky, yeah, and also. I mean, I know she's not thinking selfishly like this, but potentially, you know, he might come back to, you know, once Lydecker's hands on her, she might have to run into Ben again. Um, like, uh, oh, who was the girl a couple episodes ago? Yeah, uh, Like Jace, right? Yeah. You know, so, but I, I know she's not thinking like that. She's not thinking of herself. She's thinking clearly this is, you know, for him because he will definitely suffer way more should Lydecker um, find him. And she can't carry him, so she doesn't have a choice. Now, a couple of things there. Uh, Mainly is, A, if we're doing really, really still, I would have two things to do here. Uh, First of all, you're going to turn your back on Ben, Max. Really? just Oh, because he's in handcuffs, so he certainly is completely safe, right? And you should definitely turn your back on him and step inside this big, huge metal vault. Um, That's the first one. The second one. All right, so the priest runs away. Manticore guys all around. Uh, the priest gets away. Really? Like how? How does that happen? Yeah, you know, I could get it, the X fives get out of there, okay. But you know, the priest doesn't seem like he has that superhuman ability to run away. So
0: I don't no. know. Yeah, I guess. Leideker's not looking for him i guess Uh, i guess
1: so but you know it's not like hey there's a priest running through the woods ah let him go he's probably just jogging i'm sure he has nothing to do with the x5s i'm trying to find yeah
0: well in, in the actual closing scene it's probably the most used and very often overused uh plot tropes and, and that is the rain to signal rebirth but you know i was okay oh, i thought with you were gonna say
1: the voiceover but that's okay.
0: well yeah <laughs> but but the the rain to signal rebirth and and she's at logan's now wearing a bathrobe stare just staring out the window and bling comes in and gives logan this manila envelope from leidecker with photos of ben's victims and then young max with blood on her face clearly trying to drive a wedge between eyes only and Max she tells him she's sorry for shutting him out lately and all of that and you know are these photos going to have an impact on Logan I don't think so I, I don't think he's under any illusions on what they did as children
1: no I mean it's jarring and you can see from his face it's a little jarring but yeah I don't think it's gonna really have a big impact the one thing we did see with the photos though is that the there was a picture of that convict that they had killed from that day right and we see that his body is laid out in the same position that Ben had been all his victims he had been putting in that very same position so once again we see how traumatic that one that that day was and that 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 episode was for him and uh, how you know that's like i said it's just kind of that he just relives it over and over again yep
0: well you were right about the ending uh, we don't end at the space needle. We end at the church, and Max enters the confessional <laughs> and tells the priest, "It's me." Up, oh, yeah. you're not supposed to tell me that.
1: <laughs>
0: right. Yeah, so that's, how does, that's
1: not how you start, right? So how does this bitch work? Yeah, yeah that's not how you started either,
0: <laughs> right? And 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 you know, I wonder, does she mean bitch the blue lady? Does she mean bitch the concept of confession? I guess it doesn't really matter it's
1: it's kind of the same you know it's like kind of that same concept all tied together. It's just how does how does this faith how does this idea of faith work right right right
0: and and I think where Ben had his faith just twisted in all many in so many different directions, most of them negative you know it, it's like I think we see that there's hope for max and, and you know that that rain in the scene right before it, you know giving her a new chance so We'll see.
1: Yeah. As we said before that, um, you know, Ben's faith was this childlike faith that got kind of twisted around by, you know, when, when combined with his manticore training. Now we have Max who is, just really now, like, like uh, uh, this kind of like in almost all religions, this, I think goes through this where you're a kid and you believe fervently because you do what your parents tell you and, and what they say, and you believe what your parents believe and, and you believe without question. And then you get to be a teenager and you start to reject some of those things or question a lot of those things that your parents did. And oftentimes religion gets tied up in that or a young adult, and then you get to be older, and you see more of the world, and you start to see, well, maybe there is some value in in those things that I learned as a kid, but now it's a more thoughtful, mature kind of faith that, um, you know, instead of you just accepting someone else's beliefs without question, uh, you've kind of come to it yourself, and and you believe it yourself. Um, and, And that's not obviously for everyone, but I think that that is fairly common kind of cycle of events, how things go like that, and um, and I think that's what's happening with Max here. You know that that original childlike belief that she kind of moved past said, "Oh, it's just like the tooth fairy; it's it's just a made up story." And now she's saying, "Hmm, you know, maybe there is something to this whole idea of faith."
0: Well, I, I again, I mean, we got four episodes to go in season one. Uh, ho- hopefully, they're this good. Yeah, It's
1: almost hard to expect yeah, that Yeah, exactly. I hope they get a season two as well. You know, like.
0: All right, well, listen, we want to thank you for joining us. Uh, we'd love to hear from you about Dark Angel or anything else you think we should be watching. We'd also like to c- encourage you to join the Facebook group, and if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to sci-fi-tv-rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via SpeakPipe, which you can access through the Sci-fi-tv-rewatch website. And we'll be back next week to discuss Dark Angel, season one episode 19 titled i and i am a camera but until then
1: you know a lot of people think like spring break is like this great time especially for teachers but you know it's also a spring break for my kids and dave please you know what they'll do to me they'll put me down there with anomalies